Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Lineup with Dave Prodan. I'm Dave Prodan, and this is episode 96. Overnight, the Tudor Nazare Toe Surfing Challenge presented by Hogos Santa Casa was completed in Portugal. And in case you missed it live, replays and highlights are available on worldsurfleague.com and the WSL app. We are approaching the end of 2021, but counter to how past seasons have unfolded, the world's best surfing action will recommence mere weeks after the new year with Championship Tour Stop number 1, the Billabong Pro Pipeline, starting on January 29th, 2022, and the best men's and women's surfers on the planet will be igniting their campaigns for a shot at the world title in September's Rip Curl WSL Finals. 2022 is going to be a barn burner. All right, episode 96. The lineup will be finishing its season next week with a mailbag episode. So feel free to send in your questions on Instagram or Twitter at, at the lineup pod, and we'll do our best to answer as many as possible. We will be returning with fresh episodes in early January. But first, we went behind the curtain on the Challenger Series qualifying class for today's episode. So, Please enjoy the lineup's conversation with the break room. The good old clap, take one. That's right. How many of you knew what you wanted to be when you were seven years old? I did. I wanted to be world champion. Hey, is there honesty involved in this podcast? Can we be honest? We can shut your fucking lips. And then I'll just say, put them up once. Let's go. He's like, you look too pretty on the wave. Get ugly. We can talk about DMT if you want. It's <laughs> like you're boxing. All right, we are back with break room installment number six, the last break room of 2021. And we are joined by Lindsay Volk, Kim Hogan, Dan Willen, Hendo Beyer, and this episode's special guest, the WSL's very own Brady Lawrence. Brady, welcome to the break room. Thanks, Dave. Stoked to be here. Yeah, and for those on the call and those listening to this, uh, Brady's here to remind me of how old I am because I've been at this company so long that I worked with Brady's dad. Um, when I was still at the ASP. And then Brady, I don't think I knew that when you turned up and you're after maybe like a few weeks, you're like, I think you know my dad. And I'm like, what? And I'm like, okay, <laughs> great. But Brady, um, maybe just for everyone listening, what is your official role with the WSL and how'd you get started? So I am a social media manager. So me and a team of Elise and Evan, two other people on the social media team. We are responsible for everything our fans see on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, you name it. Um, whether it's at an event where we're throwing all the best clips that you see, like John John's 10 at Hollyiva that everyone just saw, we throw that up, we throw a caption on it, all the Instagram stories, you name it. Um, yeah, so anything you see at an event, outside an event on Instagram, I'd probably touch at some point. <laughs> And throughout a given year, and I mean, you can talk about the chaos of the last couple of seasons, but maybe just start in a normative year. How often do you are on the road and, and what are you doing when you are in the trenches um, on site at these events? Yeah, so 
on a normal year, the social media team generally tries to get one or two people at every single event. So I I think have been to just about every single event with the exclusion of the Ausleg last year. In the last like few years, I've probably been to almost every other single event. And when it comes to on the ground coverage, it's chasing free surf when it's like before a comp or a lay day to to show what our athletes are actually doing. Um, during a contest, it's it's following them around pre-heat, post-heat, like chasing reactions, stuff like that. And uh, yeah, it's it's a pretty fun job. You get really close to the action and a lot of reward. Now, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit for the familial connection, mostly just to tell a story, because when I started and I first met your dad, um, you know, the inimitable Stevie Lawrence, he came in with so much swagger because your dad actually worked for ESPN. And when I started, we were all very like forward about our insecurities on not being taken seriously by the mainstream. So when your dad came in, we were like, "Ooh, it's someone from ESPN. And he kind of like <laughs> levitated off the ground through events. And he was just such a nice, humble guy and, and a great storyteller. I'm curious as to what your experiences were in the household when your dad was working on these events and how much, if at all, that influenced your your career pathway. Oh, it 100% influenced my career pathway. Uh, I was, I want to say the first time I was ever in a broadcast truck was when I was like maybe 11 at the US Open when back in the, the Nike 6.0 days. And uh, it was pretty wild. My dad just wanted to bring me to the surf comp and I was stoked. And I sat in the TV truck for about 12 hours, like four days straight, just because I wanted to see what it was like. And I quickly realized that that is absolutely not what I want to (laughs) do. I don't know if anyone's ever been in a TV truck, but it is one of the scariest and most stressful environments that you could ever think of. But yeah, so I did know I wanted to be in the competitive surfing world because all that stuff fascinated me so much. But I knew that I wanted to get as far away from that TV truck as possible. (laughs) It is pretty funny, right? Because I think a lot of people forever romanticize those roles where it's like, oh my God, you travel the world and you run the broadcast for our sport or any sport. But as you pointed out, like, you're pretty much in that thing from like before the sun comes up until after the sun comes down and it looks the same whether you're in South America or Europe or Australia and you're like, oh, it's a box, but it's an essential kind of role for what we do, I guess, as a business. Yeah, I mean, I you got to give props to everyone that's in that TV truck for every single event. It's they're long, grueling days. You can't like afford to to not be focused because something can happen and it's just it's it's a long day in there and they really only get to experience the amazing places that we get to go to like on off days or pre or post comp if they're going to stay longer or something like that. Yeah. Now I'm guessing by the decor in your background, you're still in Hawaii. Is that correct? I am. I am in a house right across the street from Keiki on North shore. And, uh, yeah, we're, I'm staying here for most of the winter. So I'm pretty stoked on that. Entrenched. Now, outside of what we all get to see in the events, and, and, and we did just finish our final Challenger Series event a couple of weeks ago at the Michelob Ultra Pure Gold Challenger event in, in Haleiwa. Um, but what are you picking up just out in the lineups, watching these, these sessions go down? Where are you spending your time? And, and has anyone 
been standing out, whether they're a qualifier or an established CT surfer, or maybe just someone that no one's heard of? Yeah, um, it's it's pretty crazy. I, if you've never been to the North Shore during the winter, there's pros out everywhere, every hour of the day, rain, sunshine, wind, onshore, offshore, sideshore, you name it. There's there's guys out, guys and gals out like everywhere, and it's pretty fun to watch. Just yesterday, I was at the Aukai Sandbar, and I saw Cowley just Cowley Vost. Uh, boost a huge full route like into the flats and it was it's just like yeah that's just happening like all the time just stacking clips everywhere it's pretty epic awesome well brady we are fortunate to have you today i'm going to switch gears a little bit here now we mentioned that we've just completed the final challenger event of the season it was there at haliva and it qualified our 12 men and six women for the elite wsl championship tour in 2022 I have to confess, you know, it, it was designed to work out this way, but then anecdotally, I got so much sort of unsolicited feedback where people were like, oh my God, I'm really enjoying Haleiwa. Even though the conditions were a little bit challenging on some days, we had a bunch of lay days, they just said, I really like it because the only thing I'm thinking of is the one story, which is who's going to make the cut. And I might pass it to Lindsay because Lindsay on the marketing side of things, I'm interested to get your take on how this design impacted your job in terms of what you needed to message and just what your experiences were watching the event. Well, I think it made the job a lot easier because it made an event that might not necessarily be as exciting, like really compelling for consumers because it's like this was the battleground and there's so many storylines. So from us, instead of thinking, you know, how do we make this exciting, which could be, you know, I think that comes up in a lot of other sports when you think of the you know, quote unquote, lower tiers or qualifying tiers. Whereas for this one, it's like this was arguably more exciting than some of our championship tour events last year. There was like a storyline um, at every turn. And because these storylines were so linked to the athletes themselves, I think it's great for the fans because you can really sort of digest targeted messages for different audience groups. So it was really great for me. Dan, Hendo, Kim, any any takeaways from your guys' perspective from the Holly Eve event? Yeah, I would agree. I felt compelled to watch these heats and the drama was palpable. I don't know, just the fact that you have some of these CT surfers, local guys like John surfing against people qualifying these stories were insane. And over 13 years of watching this event, I've never seen a 10 like John's. That just blew me away. And um, that was a huge highlight for me. And also Betty Lusakura Johnson, amazing story. And uh, I can't believe I didn't think about her the previous time we got together because she is a shoe win. She did a phenomenal job and what a cool story. Yeah, I thought the the format of the Challenger Series really helped because normally that event would take place in the middle of the Triple Crown and then like pipe is on its way and like it's the end of the CT season. And so like there's so many big things going on around it where it was like, all eyes of the surfing world were on this. Um, the standout for me, like Hendo kind of touched on it with Betty Lou, is like the class of rookie women is like amazing. I think we've talked about it like once or twice already, but about this new generation of women surfers headed towards the CT, like with Sierra Kerr and Aaron Brooks and Betty Lou and like all these young women. But like it's happening way faster than anyone expected. It's happening right now. Like five of the six qualifiers are are rookie rookies um, on the women's side, and they're like super legit, winning the events. Like on the men's side, the winners of the Challenger Series events were all CT surfers or former CT surfers. But on the women's side, like that final was Carissa versus three rookies, and a, a rookie won. 
Like, that's amazing. If you would put odds on that before, you'd be like, Carissa's going to win 97% of the time. And and she didn't. It was crazy. I feel like the, the women's CT is about to get super exciting. And the fact that only, like, what is it, nine or eight or nine of them qualify at the end of the year or at the cut line, like, people are going to get upset. There's going to be a lot of rookies coming in and, like, some big names are going to fall off. It's going to be wild. Yeah, we're going to talk a lot about that a little bit later. It's going to be an exciting year. Um, Kim, how about you? Did you have any takeaways from Haleiwa? Yeah, I think my biggest takeaway was how, I think everyone has sort of already touched on it, but how leading into Pipe, um, it gave me a lot of context around who these new athletes are or who the athletes who weren't here last year, who um, I might not have paid attention to or ever heard of. Now I'm sort of able to follow them and have some context around who they are. Um, And like everyone has said, especially on the women's side, um, I think we're in for a really interesting year um, in terms of qualification qualifications and in terms of the final five but yeah it's a super cool lead-in to the season that we've never had before we've got a new cast coming it's going to be exciting dave you were just out in hawaii uh what was your time like out there and also if you're listening right now and haven't heard our brisa hennessy episode it's out go ahead and listen dave did it in person out there in hawaii uh what was your week like dave yeah we did talk to brisa it's always um I always forget how nice it is to talk to people like face to face instead of on on the computer. But I feel like we've probably done more of these on the computer than in person. But uh, yeah, I definitely it was nice to connect with her. And I was I was there on the week. I was um, squatting with um, our our tours and competition representative there, Travelogi, um, and we were staying just across the street from Haleiwa. And yeah, just a ton of meetings with you know surfers and team managers and community leaders and stuff just about what we're doing and what we're planning to do and and a few things that we have that are planned for fun next week and yeah um like surfing too i think i've told this story I, I the first time i went to hawaii for work was 06 and i mean i'll i'll back up there's no wrong way to surf but i definitely when i was a kid like gravitated towards like I'm going to ride this board because it looks cool and I'm going to try to do a chop hop and I don't give a shit about a bottom turn. So like did all the like flashy stuff and none of the substance and that all and like competed like as an, like an idiot. And then I remember like vividly going to Hawaii and just being blown away by the surfing and, and the community and the waves and thinking to myself like I have to relearn everything that I thought about surfing more just to kind of do the right thing. But yeah, I've been going every season and, you know, I just learn more every season. You know, you stay at a little spot and you surf that spot and you bounce around and there's no physical triple crown this year. So in the back of my head, I thought, oh, you know, it's not going to be as crowded with like pros, but it's just like an ecosystem where like some species have moved out, like other species just move in and there was just tons of kids, like so many kids everywhere. And I'm like, well, that's good. You know, the community is healthy on the North Shore, but no, it was a lot of fun, and it was a lot of fun just to watch the event and and catch up. And Hawaii is so important for us. And I think the rhythm of the way we've redesigned things is interesting in terms of the Challenger Series coming to a head with the final event uh, at Haleiwa, and not a long break. You know, it's like six weeks, and then we're already ramping up for the start of the Championship Tour season, kicking off with a bang at Pipeline, backing it up with Sunset Beach. So there's this new cadence and rhythm just to the sport in general that's interesting for everyone, whether it's the surfers or the brands or the media. And I think particularly people at the WSL, I'm sure everyone on this call is feeling the same where, okay, the season's over and we used to start in March, but no, we don't. You know, we start at the end of January, so we don't have really any space. And uh, 
Yeah, it's kind of intense. I don't know. Does anyone feel the same? Yeah, it feels like a year-long sport now. Like, I know a lot of other sports, they try to, like, when in their offseason, like, how do we keep eyeballs on us? Like, whether it's free agency period or something like that, um, the draft in some sports. But, like, for us, like, the Challenger Series is doing that big time. And, those like, the fact that the events are all, like, at CT-level waves just makes it, like, it's almost hard to tell sometimes other than the number of people competing it's crazy. It's just like nonstop. We're going to move on, as Hendo said, to the class of 22 here in a minute. But before we do, maybe just a round robin on championship tour surfer takeaways from Haleva. We, we talked about John. Carissa also made a, a huge impact and uh, fell short in the final to Betty Lucifer Johnson. But maybe just around the horn, like takes on both of them. They're multi-time world champions. John's coming back from injury. Carissa is now the reigning five-time world champ. What did you think of their performance in Hawaii? What did you think motivated them to do the event in the first place, seeing as how they didn't have to uh, for any kind of qualification purpose? And then also, how do you think that bears out for them heading into 2022? Um, you know, Kim, we'll start with you. Maybe we'll go back around the horn that way. I think that they both did it because it's fun. John obviously hadn't put on a jersey in a while, but I think that's something really interesting about surfing specifically as a sport is I think that a lot of our surfers do surf just for fun and to surf Haleiwa with two or three other people is probably more fun than it than it is anything else, maybe especially for someone like Carissa. I don't know. I'm not, you know, I'm not in their heads. On the other side of that, I feel most excited about everybody else. Um, to be honest, I feel like John and Carissa, for how much I love them and for how incredibly talented they are, um, I'm super, super stoked about the rookies on both the men's and the women's sides. And um, that's kind of where I'm sitting right now. Dan, are you next? Sure. um i feel like i talked about what i was most most excited about but it is cool seeing the ct people like on both sides really like committing to it i feel like at each stop there was like a good presence from the ct surfers and i think it just helps showcase like kim said like we know them and we love them and we're gonna see them starting in january but it helps it almost helps them being there helps showcase the younger up-and-comers because it's like dang they're beating john they're beating kanoa they're they're taking down Carissa in the final. Like, I think it just helps. It raises the event to make it, it makes it feel like more than just a QS. It just makes everything feel bigger. For sure. And I was stoked to see Lakey back in action, making it to the semis. What a good return from her. We hadn't seen her compete in, I'm not sure, a year plus. Uh, so that was cool to see that she made it into the semis. What were you thinking, Lens? Well, um, in regards to Carissa and John, I mean, I think they were competing just to practice for pipe. I think they both want to win. Um, and, you know, to the point of there's not that much of a break between events. Why not compete? It gives you such an edge. But then in regards to, um, you know, who I'm excited about, I think that for me, I'm definitely excited about Brisa and Connor O'Leary back on tour next year. I think that there was just such this resounding um oh my gosh, I'm so glad that such great people made the tour again. And that's so much more important. And then, I mean, exactly like we said, if you haven't listened to that Brisa episode with Dave last week, it was so good, like so lovely. And I think that with athletes like that, my mind always goes to a parallel with someone like Kevin Love, who is such a nice person and does so much in so many different spaces. But is often not thought of as like, oh, he's the best player on the field, but or I mean on the court, of course. 
then you think about it and it's like in 2016 when it was a really big year for the Cavs to win the championship, he had like a, just a crazy game and like against the Trailblazers and like 34 points in a quarter. And I'd like to think that like both Brisa and Connor are going to have those moments where they really go down in history as like this is the moment that they really like had that competitive breakthrough. And I think that they're both really deserving of that. So I'm excited to see it next year. Hmm. Brady, what was the energy like when John and Chris were paddling out at Haleiwa? It was pretty mental. Uh, John, just specifically only talking about his Insane 10, I actually didn't get to see that one live. I was on my computer posting something else in the in the nerd cave, as you've coined the term, Hendo. Um, I was in the nerd cave, and I was just listening to the PA, and it was just like, John John Florence takes off, does a huge air reverse, then a, another turn. Oh, wait, he's pulling in the barrel. And there was like a crowd like going off in between every single little part of that wave. And it felt like I was at pipe, like just like listening. Like it, it was it was pretty hectic. It was awesome. It was just what you wanted to see as a fan. I love that note because for the people that are on tour, and again, it goes back to kind of myth busting what life is on tour. Like the amount of times you're in the restroom or like on your computer or doing something when something major pops off, you're like, wait, what? And then you're getting all these texts from your friends that are watching it live on the webcast. They're like, oh my God, where are you? Like so-and-so just said this or like punch the security guard. You're like, oh, I, I'm, I just took a personal break. Like, I don't know what's going on. It's, like, it's a good time. I, I think there's some interesting like design stuff that happened too, right? Because we've talked about this a lot on the podcast and obviously we've just gone through this mammoth redesign of our entire tours and competition framework that hasn't even really reached full flight yet because of COVID and we've had to make those adjustments. But all of the championship tour surfers are already qualified or sorry, already seated directly into these challenger series events. Now they're not going to do all of them, but Holly Eva at the end of the season because we have that tight gap between the end of Haleiwa and the start of the championship tour season in Hawaii as well, I think year over year, you're going to see kind of a high percentage of CT surfers. Certainly the CT surfers in Hawaii want to do that just to kind of dust the cobwebs off and put the jersey back on and sharpen the knife. And and that's a heavy thing for the Challenger Series surfers who are have their qualification on the line, right? They're there and they're like, oh, what I got to surf against John, like at Haleiwa, like what the hell? Like I'm just trying to like crack in through the back door here, but yeah, really uh, interesting stuff to watch. And yeah, I'm really excited about 2022. Before we move into that space, we're gonna take a quick break to get a word in from our sponsor and we'll be right back. WSLstore.com is powered by Shopify. We love the analytics we can check on the go. A lot of us are addicted to checking the Shopify app on our phones. We also love the automations and marketing integrations with our social and YouTube channels. It has incredible features to help us manage our global audience, including international taxation support and great shipping optionality. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek skis, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. 
and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com lineup, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com lineup now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com lineup. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Okay, as we've been talking about with the wrap of the Michelob Ultra Pure Gold Haleiwa Challenger event, we have locked in our qualifiers for the Elite 2022 WSL Championship Tour season. Those lists can be found on worldsurfleague.com or the WSL app, but the Challenger Series class on the women's side will be Gabriella Bryan, who's a true rookie, Brisa Hennessy, who's a returning CT surfer, Caitlin Simmers and India Robinson, Betty Lucicura Johnson and Luana Silva, all of whom are true rookies. So five out of the six making it onto the CT are true rookies, which is a huge percentage historically. To the group, any thoughts on this women's rookie slash challenger series class for 2022? Uh, I'll start it off real quick. I think um, shout out to Team Ross. Whatever he's doing at that camp is working. And I am scared because Betty Lusakura Johnson is coming in. She's going to be dangerous. She had sporadic results previously, but I think that Haleiwa was a perfect way for her to put a little bow on the cap and end the year on a perfect way. She is going to do some damage, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing her surf this year for sure. I think a lot of these breaks will suit her. Plus, going into Pipe and Sunset, I feel like she's got an upper hand there. Mm. I love this this group of young women that are going to the CT, I think all of them are so good and are about to stir things up completely. As Hendo said, Betty, the fact that she caught her first wave of her life at Haleiwa and then just qualified for the dream tour, clinching her dreams at the same exact wave, that's just chicken skin moments for me. But I do think Gabby Bryan is the real freaking deal. She went through the entire Challenger Series, four events, didn't even take the carryover event from last year like everyone else. Four events. Three runner-up finishes, not to mention in Haleiwa. On finals day, she had to surf against Carissa three times. I'm not really sure how that works with the four-man-woman heats. I don't really know how that seating works, but she had to go up against Riss three times on finals day, and she put up a fight all three times and beat her in the final. I don't know how many women on the CT could go toe-to-toe with her for three straight heats on a finals day. That's a lot of pressure. It's a really strong class, and I, I'd like to think, and this is obviously early days, but it's it's symptomatic of the Challenger Series redesign. I think that that 
curates kind of an upper level of qualifying series surfers and to a person on this list and and they are all very very young but oftentimes you get um, young surfers qualifying who have kind of a monopoly at least in terms of their weaponry on progressive surfing and all of these young women are so powerful and strong in their own right. And I think as you pointed out, Brady, like that's going to do a lot of damage on the CT. And, and that's kind of the thing that, that translates a lot of the time. So I'm with you. Like this is a much stronger class than I could have anticipated. And, and it's a little bit different to the, the men's class. And I'm going to, uh, I'm going to quote an unnamed source on this, but someone who has been around the sport for decades and has managed teams and has been on tour themselves. And their comment to me about the men's class was there's no single superstar like a Gabby or a John or a Mick or a Jordy who is qualifying. Like there's no like superstar in their opinion and I countered by saying, yes, but oftentimes when that happens, it's sort of one superstar and the rest are often kind of cannon fodder. Whereas I think the men's class collectively could do more damage than a lot of other classes in the past. They're kind of like the 2021 uh, New England Patriots, right? They're like, they're all very, very good and, and they're all going to do some damage, but there's not like a singular superstar. But just to call them out, we have returning CT surfer and the ultimate surfer, Ezekiel Lau. We have rookie Liam O'Brien. We have returning CT surfer, Connor O'Leary. Uh, rookies, Jake Marshall, Callum Robson, Samuel Pupo. Uh, returning CT surfer and former rookie of the year, Nat Young. And then rookies, Ima Kalani Duvall, Luca Messinas, Zhao Xianca, Jackson Baker, and Carlos Munoz. So very interesting men's rookie class, in my opinion. And, and I want to get the team's thoughts on, on the men before we move on. It's rad that we have some new surfer from we have some surfers from new places, um, like Luca from Peru and Carlos from Costa Rica. I think when you say there's no superstar of this class, maybe he's not a superstar, but I feel like Zeke feels like the guy in this class. Like, I don't know. He I think he fell off tour. He took a huge swing with Ultimate Surfer, like risky move. I don't know how many people expected him to be on it, but when he was on it, he was like so far and above everyone else there that he wins it, right? So he's back on the tour in some capacity. Then he goes to the Challenger Series, and I feel like he kind of kept that air of like, he he felt like a CT surfer going up against everybody else, to me at least, to where like he wins in um, in Europe and then he, he gets a fifth in Hollywood. But I feel like he feels like a different surfer. He feels so much more unbeatable. And like he has so much momentum coming out of the last year, which was a wild year that like you couldn't script for him kind of i think he is someone who's dangerous and the fact that the first two events are at pipe and sunset i feel like it sets him up for a good start i don't know i feel like zeke is is dangerous just like the women's class i think this men's class is about as deep as it gets the top to bottom from zeke all the way down to carlos munoz at the last spot all of them are capable of doing serious damage in just about any event i think while we might not get a world title out of this class, we are going to get a ton of of surfers that are just going to be finishing consistently in that top 10 and, and making people fight for their spot on tour. Like you look at Nat Young coming back, he is one of the best backhands in the world, in my opinion. You got Liam O'Brien, who's just a spark and of energy and just looks so good at all times. Emai is just like unbelievable. Like 
all the way top to bottom, I think this class is absolutely insane. Well, I, I think getting to the design too, we'll see if it's a full year or not, right? Because as we pointed out, the, the redesign of the sport for the championship tour next year is we're going to have a pipeline kicking off the season on January 29th at CT1. Then we go straight into Sunset Beach. We go to Super Tubos in Portugal in early March, which is major swell season and, and ideal wins for that spot. Formerly, it was back in October where we'd have the odd pretty good day, but we moved around a ton at that event. And by all accounts, March is going to be really heavy, beach break, cold, windy, big big barrels. And then we go to Bells uh, in April and then Margaret River. And back during the Surf Ranch event, we were we were showing the schedule to the surfers before we announced it. Everyone was really, really excited, but the comment that came back across these first five events was there wasn't really one venue that was playful, right? Playful kind of high performance wave, which often favors rookies. And there's so many stakes on the line now across these first five events, because if you don't finish in the top 10 on the women's CT or the top 22 on the men's CT, you're off the CT. You got to go back to the Challenger Series. And I want to get everyone's take on on just that concept shifting the psychology for for young competitors. I love it. I think that having something else, like I mean, last year, look at from Lindsay's perspective with the marketing, the whole year we're driving towards the final five, and it's like that plot, while it is amazing, kind of goes to the back of your brain when it's only the third or fourth event of the year. Like you don't like as a fan actually care until it's like second or third event away from the finals. But to have that moment to where half of these surfers are going to be fighting for their lives, just like in the first half of the year, it's an extra storyline added stress. And it, it shows it's going to show who is going to rise to the occasion. Um, shout out Zeke. We all know he will. That's, that's what he lives for. Yeah. I think as a fan, it just adds so much like, intrigue to the first half of the season like you were saying event three of ten what does it mean well now it means a whole lot i'm curious what the surfers think if i was a rookie coming in this year for the first time with a cut i'd be like man i couldn't have qualified last year <laughs> um but i think you know we'll see how deep this class is that it's a lot of rookies coming in and there's only so many spots with that cut um it's gonna take some big upsets for them to to knock off the the names we know but i'm very excited to see it it, yeah. it just makes it like you get off the challenger series you got to come out of the gates so hungry and so fast at pipe like ready to go it's gonna be gnarly and Lindsay and kim both as uh, professionals and fans like how do you kind of approach something like this both from your job standpoint in the sense of like well whether it's the rookies or whether it's the established surfers like we're going to be losing a third of them uh halfway through the season and then also just as a fan are you like oh geez i hope this person like gets through because i'd really like to see them in the back half well as a professional and a fan i approach it from <laughs> from my professional standpoint um from that it is nice because we get to sort of streamline who we're talking about and um, we always have a sort of path that we're walking down so we're always looking towards the cut we're always looking towards the finals and we do sort of have a strategy around who we're talking about and 
how and why from rookies to champs. And so it feels um, good from that standpoint because we can be strategic and we can, like I said, have a path that we're walking down. From a fan standpoint, I feel like I'm going to be so bummed to not see all the women surf chopes or all everyone surf at these some of these spots that, you know, are just like sort of dying to see everyone surf there or G-Land. And so from that standpoint, I think I'll be really bummed to see sort of some people go, especially on the women's side, because it's so it's such a more compact sort of class that it's easy to follow everyone's storyline much, much easier than it is for the men. Um, and so from a fan standpoint, that's sort of where where I'm at is I'm dreading the grief of the cut line. So, yeah. Linz? Um, Well, yeah, strictly professionally. I agree with you. I think that it's much more focused and I think that it's a much better narrative to service to fans and we it, like we're such a confusing sport. It'll really help streamline and make it focused. And then I think that the important thing to consider, you know, Dan just mentioned how if you come off the Challenger series and you qualify, you have to be ready for pipe. I think that there's sort of an inverse parallel around if you fall off at the mid-season cut, looking ahead, the Challenger series starts much, starts much quicker. And so I'm really interested in sort of like that dynamic of having parallel promotion between the different tours. And then from a fan lens, I think it'll be really a switch. Um, and this is, again, is just how I would interpret things. I always say I have a bit of an obsessive personality. And then an embarrassing parallel is remember when people were really obsessed with Tim Tebow? It's very embarrassing yeah. to admit it. Yeah. But I really <laughs> fell into that. And I'm like, oh, like, what's he doing? And then he started doing such weird stuff. And then he was, you know, and then he was in the minor leagues. But I was still like really interested in him because I was a fan, like super embarrassing. But it didn't matter that he was just like playing for the minor leagues and also like turned into like a bit of a freak because I wanted to follow his career and see what he was doing. So I wonder that as a fan next year, like to your point, Kim, like, you know, it might be a bummer not to be able to see like your favorite woman at Chopu. But if they're competing at, um, you know, a Challenger Series event, that potentially that timing is very similar. Like maybe you yourself will just care less about um, Chopu. It's interesting because, of course, the waves are so important, too. But. I don't know. I think there there will still be something for the fan at every turn. All right. So for the listeners out there who had Tim Tebow taking shots on the break room <laughs> on your bingo card, you come come on up. I, I, I love it. So we mentioned the first five events. We mentioned this big midseason cut. You have to finish in the top 10 on the women's CT or the top 22 on the men's CT, not only to make it to the second half of the year, but that is your qualification. If you make it through the mid-year cut, you're in for the start of 2023. And then we go to Garajagon in Indonesia, Trestles, Brazil, Jebei, Chopu, and the battle for the final five at the Rip Curl WSL finals in September. In addition to that schedule, in addition to our Challenger Series classes, we have a number of world title holders on in both fields. We've got Carissa Moore, reigning five-time women's world champion. We've got Steph Gilmore, seven-time women's world champion. We've got Tyler Wright, two-time women's world champion. On the men's side, we've got Gabriel Medina, reigning three-time men's world champion. Italo Ferreira, 2019 world champion. We've got, I'm going down the list now, John John Florence, two-time world champion. We've got Kelly Slater, 11-time world champion. And all these hitters, it's an exciting field. It's an exciting schedule. And I think we're going to go around the horn here and play a little game called Warm, Hot, Spicy. 
takes. That's just that's a terrible name, but I'm just reading the outline. <laughs> so I want to hear the bold predictions for 2022 around the horn. Warm take, hot take, spicy take. Someone kick us off. Uh, I guess I'll start us off because mine aren't like all that spicy. Um, I just couldn't think of anything too wild. But as far as warm, I think that hopefully we'll see a new and unexpected rivalry that's born on the women's side. I mean, we've seen good rivalries in the past with Steph or Carissa or Lakey and such. But I think with this new crop, I just I want to see some some fire. I want to see some new rivalries. I think it would be great to see uh, hot. I think it would be great if we could see Parco get a wild card. Last year we had Mick and we had Taj. I think <laughs> it's time to bring on Parco or Dingo. I think that would be. Are they going to do better than Mick and Taj? I mean, those are great. Like, I love those guys too. Like, I love seeing that. But I want to see Parco too. Bring him back. Bring back Dingo. And then uh, the lights just like went in and out at like the Balter Brewery, and Joel's just like, "What? Someone said something about me." The <laughs> bat signal comes back. Yeah, They're calling right. me. I'm ready, man. The, the Balter signal. No free yeah. ads. And then uh, spicy. This is as spicy as I could think of. But I think a wild card is going to win an event next year. Mark my words. It's been a long time since we've seen guys like Mick or Carissa as wild cards winning events. Um, I think it's about time. It's been a while. So I think that would be spicy to see. Any hot, warm, spicy Frio takes for you, Kim? Oh, yeah. Well, I don't know. In, in I feel like it's my own like spice meter, which is probably pretty weak anyway. But um, okay, warm. I have a take that um, everything is going to move around, get canceled, shifted around because we are still, in fact, in a global pandemic that Damn, does not seem to be getting warm take. Damn. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm sorry to bring it up. Um, I also think we're going to see more people retiring because I think that there's just like a shift in consciousness globally, and I think. Um, it from those of us who have desk jobs to professional athletes, I think we're all sort of changing our minds. Hot take. Um, I think that the rookies will dominate. Um, and I think a lot of the surfers who sort of had a more or less free pass, um, to the top 10 no longer will, which I think we've all said a bunch of times on this already, um, is like the rookies are just so good. And, um, I think that they're going to surf their way into that those top spots. My spicy take is that I don't really think that Steph is going to be on the up and up anymore. I think that her decline has already started and will continue. And I don't think she's going to be in title contention. And I think that she's just not going to have the dominating powers she, that she used to, considering, again, this rookie class. Like we just saw what happened at Hollywood with um, Carissa. And I just think that's going to sort of be the trend with the women who have been on tour a bit longer and those who we sort of expect to dominate or we sort of have this guarantee that they'll dominate. I just don't think it's going to happen anymore. And that's it. Scary. Yikes. Brady? Scary. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, my my not so spicy warm take is actually pretty spicy. Um, I think John John's going to win three out of the first five events of the year. We're giving him a back to back pipe master, uh, a win at sunset, and then either Bells or, or Margs. We know he's he's very capable there, and I wouldn't be shocked. It's crazy to me that that's even a warm take. As far as my mid-level spice, maybe your uh, Cholula or Tapatio level spice, <laughs> I'm going Gabby Bryan. Uh, backing up my earlier comments, Gabby Bryan takes the fifth spot for the WSL Final Five and defeats whoever she goes against at wow. number four to get into the second round of the Rip Curl WSL Finals. 
Not this sure who that number nice. four is going to be, but Gabby Bryan. I'm I'm on all in on the Gabby Bryan train for 2022. And then my triple X spicy wing Wednesday uh, take <laughs> <laughs> is uh, Kolohe Andino gets his maiden CT victory in the first half of the year. So let's say John wow. takes those three. Whoa. Let's say John takes those three. We'll give Kolohe maybe Bells or Margs, whichever one John doesn't win. Mm. And then in the second half of the year, he follows it up with another win and puts himself square in the middle of the title wow. race come wow. the Rip Curl WSL final. Yeah, this is really spicy, Brady. This That's good. Man. I like it. That's good. Win Wednesday. Zero career wins to two in one season. Yeah. We love to see it. Making up for lost time. <laughs> you wanted spice. It. Give him all 10 wins. Let's just go there. <laughs> That's like a ghost pepper spice, and I love it. Yeah, I like yeah. <laughs> Who's next? This is a fun game. Warm, hot, spicy. W-H-S. We need a hot sauce sponsor for this. Heck yeah, we do. I'm I'm starving now, too. We need to wrap this up. I got to go eat. That's tough to follow, but I'll go. Um, my warm... Dang, now I feel... I got to up the spice here. But the warm take is that a rookie man and a rookie woman will woman will make the final five. Sounds like it's Gabby Bryan, according to, to Brady, is the women's. Um, we'll see who the men's is. Maybe Jake Marshall. Hot take is that the men's final five will not have a surfer from Australia, Hawaii, or America. All three of those countries or, or whatever, not included. The three Brazilians are going to be in there. It's a guarantee. Gabe, Italo, and Felipe in some order. Then I think my boy Jordy is going to be in there. And then I'm oh. leaving the spot open for, you know, a wild card. Probably Kanoa. He feels he feels good. But you know Jordy's going to be in there this year. He he missed it last year. He's coming back. It's Jordy time. I love how you just ride the Jordy train so hard. Someone has to. Yeah, I feel like dust, I'm out here on Jordy We just dust Jordy the Island. train off once a year. We just dust it off and we're like, we're back. Yeah. <laughs> We've been on this thing on. since 2008. So no John John, no Kolohe, no Connor, none of those guys. You're going no John John after what he just did at Hall Eva. That's hey, spicy. What's going to get yeah. him? Performance, injury, existential know. crisis? I don't want to say. Ennui? Early retirement. Maybe he just gets on a sailboat and sails away. All right. Um, okay, my <laughs> or spicy take. it could take... be a pandemic related. Maybe the vaccination situation. Not. Such a downer, Kim, with the schedule yeah. changes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Should I keep bringing up the global <laughs> pandemic? <laughs> this is a we know. Reality train just blaring through the podcast. Yeah, okay, my spicy that. take. How can we do takes without mentioning Kelly? So my spicy take is 11-time world champ Kelly Slater either makes the final five or does not make the cut. There is no in between. And <laughs> yeah, in like either this. scenario, in either scenario, it's his last full year on tour. He's walking away after 2022. He's either in the finals and maybe winning it, or gets cut with the rest of the uh, lower half of the tour and walks away from full time competing. I think we'll see him as a wild card till he's what, like 60, 65. But full time, this is it. He's done. Interesting. Hopefully we can get him in the commentary booth then if he does miss the cut. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah. let's do that. He's gonna be on the break room 2023. Oh god, I have to tell <laughs> yeah. him I think. And we're gonna and we're gonna clip your take and we're gonna play it right before he goes. <laughs> oh. Yeah, the I'll intro to his Hey, well show. it would have been right in that scenario, it would have been right. So yeah. I can't be too mad. That's right. Lindsay, what do you got? Okay. 
I'll try to follow that. Um, the bar was really set high with Brady. So I said that my warm take was just that the tour was boring before. I think that it got exciting <laughs> last year, but last year was like a fake tour. So I'm really excited. Like, But seriously, there were individual events that were exciting, but not an entire tour that was exciting. So I guess credit to, I guess it was... I don't know, leadership team or maybe just maybe it's just the finals. That's the exciting part. So kudos to Travis. Moving into the hot territory, I won't say the name, but I think that someone who retired last year is going to be begging tours and comp for wild cards. Um, so when <laughs> when that happens next year, like we'll all just we'll know. We'll know. We'll be like that's what happened. They always come back. And then my spicy take, which doesn't feel that spicy, is that I think that next year, the fifth seed on either the men's or women's side will win the finals. I think this for a couple reasons. You know, we have such a, like, there's just such a strong field of talent. But then also, if you're a really strategic competitor, I think that you were able to watch last season and learn a lot of things. You know, it's not always about getting like a win. It's about having sort of like an average high scores to get into the final five and as opposed to last year where we talked about what opportunity did the final five competitors have to really practice that day of surfing and there wasn't a ton whereas like now like you've had a whole freaking year like I hope you've been like surfing those like back-to-back heats a million times to really get it but anyway so I think that'll happen nice Dave do you have any or are you not allowed to have them I, I think I'm I think I'm allowed to have them is everyone yeah. else gone yeah. yeah, I didn't here. do the homework, so I was just writing them down as that people were talking <laughs> about it. But um, <laughs> so my my warm take, I guess, like this kind of got shot out. But I think uh, Gabriella Bryant's going to win Rookie of the Year. I'm not saying she's going to be top five. I just think she'll win Rookie of the Year. The break room loves her. Apparently, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Friend of the pod. Um, my hot take is I think that Liam O'Brien will resurrect Australian men surfing. It's not going to be Ryan Callanan. It's not going to be Jack Robinson. It's going to be Liam O'Brien. The Lobster. The Lobster. Oh, is that his nickname? That's so good. It's a good one. Is that? It is now. Yeah. I've been hearing that one amongst the Aussies. Yeah. Because like L O B, you got lob lobster. I mean, I mean yeah, nothing like t-shirts. an Aussie to come up with a sticky nickname. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I like exactly. it. Who is L O B? Just like a just like a lobster with like MR hair on top of it for the t-shirt. He looks like a young Mark Richards. Everyone keeps saying that. Amazing. That's a lot of pressure. I'm into it. It is a lot of pressure. And uh, my spicy take is that a world champion will not make the mid-year cutoff. I'm not going to say mm. who. It's a little bit like a real vague like tarot card reading because we know all seven of them listen to this religiously. So now they're going to have to sleep at night <laughs> being like, Did, was he talking about I'm not going to make it? Like who's he? You know, so I'm. That's my spicy take. Wait, do you have one in mind though, or you just think one of the seven won't? I have there... one in mind for, for the Kelly, seven like of them dance? listening. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna say. Mine was that Kelly either wins or doesn't. Oh yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right. No, yeah, yeah, no I love that. Area. No, lu- no lukewarm for Dan. <laughs> no lukewarm. It's hot or cold. Get the hell out of my mouth. <laughs> Classic Dan. <laughs> this is a fun game. We should do. We should find a warm, hot, spicy for every break room episode. This is a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. We got to get Cholula Sriracha on board to sponsor that, though. I know. Yeah. yeah. All right. On that note, we're going to keep this cracking along because it's almost lunchtime or it's past lunchtime. So we got a couple more topics to get to, and we've got some listener questions for everybody, but we're going to take one more quick break to get another word in from our sponsors. We'll be right back. 
With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Manduka was founded in 1997 with the simple idea that a better yoga mat could make a world of difference. For generations, Manduka has revolutionized the yoga space by providing purposely crafted products that enable a more joyful practice, whatever that looks like for you. The collaboration between Manduka and Jerry Lopez honors Jerry's profound dedication to both surfing and yoga disciplines. The limited edition collection showcases Jerry's signature camouflage print inspired by his surfboards. It fuses his iconic surf style with Manduka's commitment to quality and sustainability, offering everyone a unique expression of their practice. We all know that having the right gear is essential, and a yoga mat is no different. Feel the benefits of yoga with Manduka's soulfully engineered, eco-friendly products designed to inspire your practice wherever you go. The Manduka and Jerry Lopez collection want to inspire you to practice yoga however you choose to. And from now until June 10th, you will get 15% off of all products when you visit manduka.com with the code THELINEUP15. That's manduka.com, code THELINEUP1515. All right. So before we move on to to the fan questions for this episode, it is our final break room of 2021. So I think it's appropriate that we all look back and and cite our favorite moments, um, moments that either made us spit out our coffee or when we want a free pizza or what reminded us of why we really appreciate um, just surfing in general. So um, we're going to go around the room here and, and Kim, we'll start with you. Yeah. Looking back at the year, there's obviously so, so, so much, but I look back and think about how, despite why it was under tragic circumstances, but the women surfing pipe for the first time and having a women's pipe master in Tyler Wright was really, really exciting. Um, I think for me as a woman who surfs and for the sort of history of the sport, it was this moment that none of us knew was going to happen until it happened. And I think it gave this incredible opportunity for those women who did um, end up surfing it to sort of prove that they could do it and we're stoked to do it. And so, yeah, and that was, that was the first event of the season. So it feels like forever ago. Um, but I do think that that was a really, a really exciting thing. Dan. Yeah. For me, I feel like the highlight of the whole year was the finals, but in the finals, Kelly and Mick in the booth was magic. And then in with them in the booth, the shark sighting moment where, where like the finals was paused <laughs> and like Kelly and Mick are just still in the booth chatting to fill time while they're like looking for the shark or whatever. It was such like a weird moment. You're like, is this real? <laughs> is this actually happening? Like Mick Fanning is sitting here like announcing this amazing event and now there's a shark set. Like what is happening right now? I don't know. I feel like we were just basking in like those two champs like 
just chatting throughout the finals. It was really great. And then that happened and it was like just taken to a whole nother level. It was crazy. Really enjoyed it. Lindsay? My moment is also at the finals when Gabe did a freaking backflip. Like that was crazy to me. And I've heard the rumors that apparently, you know, he did it once before, before like Brady was born or something. But um, <laughs> this felt like a first time and was really exciting and just like a special moment and invigorating. I'll, I'll go ahead and express mine, I guess. But again, to reiterate your guys, what you guys said, what a year it's been. I mean, just think about how much has unfolded the, uh, the controversy with the no make of uh, Italo. Uh, that was crazy. And then had so much stuff going on this year. I think personally, from a personal selfish standpoint, uh, Surf Ranch will stand out in my mind as a fantastic event because I finally got a wave. So thank you, Medina, Felipe Marcondes, and Rob. I appreciate it. Uh, but from a fan's perspective, I loved Barra de la Cruz. That was such an awesome event. It was filled with so much entertainment. There was drama. There was, unfortunately, the cancellation of Tahiti. So that made that event so much more important. But the waves were firing and it was so fun to watch jack robbo's first win um the event just was so cool and it, it kind of reminded me of being like on tabarua working there we we're all kind of secluded in this like small zone of a former club med and all the surfers and the athletes were kind of hanging out because <laughs> of the precautions and stuff and it just was such a good event and the energy was just electric everybody had a smile on their face whether it was in the nerd cave on the beach or wherever everyone loved that event so uh Hope to see it come back again sometime soon. The moment that stood out to me most was, uh, it wasn't even in 2021. It was actually in 2020. It was the first event of the year. John John becoming a pipe master. Like, I mean, it was so long awaited. That was such a weird event, like with the whole COVID hiatus thing that we went on. Like, it was just like, it was just top drama. So I kind of expected like that event to end in a way, a weird way, like just because of the weird circumstances of everything going on. And then just like right when you think that, Nope, John, John, it's it's your time. Yeah, you're gonna get your pipe master that you've been waiting so long for, and you're gonna beat Gabe in the final. Like, I mean, that was it was epic. It was what every fan wanted to see, and uh, yeah, it was a great start to the weird and amazing 2021 season. Dave, what about you? Any favorite standout moments? Or it, it's hard for me to go past the finals. Like, I I think the journey from when we were whiteboarding this thing on the Gold Coast several years ago to like lower trestles and all the challenges of the last couple of years um inside and outside the sport of course and and just what a huge swing it was and is um in terms of how we crown our world champs and how we believed in it we believed the design was thoughtful enough but you never know and until it happens and it was just a really special day to see that come to fruition in such amazing ways with such great surfers and just such amazing surfing performances. Cause I always go back to why, why am I still here? Like, what are we still doing? And it's like, you can kind of, you know, you don't have to do this. You can do something else. But at the end of the day, it's like, we really work in a space that creates conditions for something special to happen. And that can be at a junior event or it can be for the world title. And I think that everything that went into the Rip Curl WSL finals from the format design to the venue allocation to just in determining the surfers who were there all went into creating these conditions for really special moments to happen. And um, I got to appreciate it, you know, being there on person, but also watching it after the fact, because when I was around person, I was just running around. But the moment that stands out for me is... Um, just Felipe beating Connor with two waves. I think it was in the the third um, match of the men's side. 
and just how like seared into my brain those waves are of Felipe's and and all of his life and story and struggles and everything going into that leading up to that moment, you know, in those moments and how he harnessed all that and his talent and how incredible he is and just ice these two waves. And I've watched, I don't know, a billion waves in my life. Like many of them in competition and they all blur together after a while. But I think the moments from that day are just, they're there for me. And I, and I really remember what I felt when I, when I saw him surf those waves. So it's a small part. I mean, every, every one of the WSL final five men and women were amazing on the day, even the women and the men that, that didn't perform as well as I would have liked. I just, it was a privilege to be there and see that happen. So, um, yeah, that was my favorite moment of the last year. We did put out uh, a feeler for questions from the Instagram community and we got a ton back and we're going to answer a lot of those in next week's mailbag episode, but we did curb a bunch of them for the break room today. A lot of these are break room specific. And since I have to do a lot of the heavy lifting next week on answers, I'm just going to ask the questions today. So um, first question is from at Tonita Surfs, who asks, after such a big year, what are you most proud of? And I'll go to Dan for this one. Um, I think the main thing is just making making it happen making it all work like the season wasn't perfect like brady said it started last year and it was long and winding and weird and unpredictable but like we had a season we had a number of events we had a successful finals and like i think throughout the journey there was a lot of comments and questions like hey the nfl's playing like well i can't wsl get you know out in the water or like how is surfing the one sport that can't figure it out during the pandemic? Like what, what's going on? And I think it's hard to understand from the outside, like how much goes into all this. And the fact that like we're operating in these public spaces that are like government run many times. And we're not, we can't just call up the owner of the team and open up the stadium, like, which is a private space, like all these stadiums and fields and courses that are privately owned. We don't, we don't get to do that other than at surf ranch. And I think, so the fact that we, cobbled together this season and made it happen like the australia leg with quarantines and like four events in like two months freaking crazy the fact that it happened is what i'm most proud of as an employee and i think it was a pretty big accomplishment it's a good answer next question is from at trav 022 who asks which ct rookies in 2022 do you have high hopes for brady I know you. I know you're big on Gabriella Bryant, but I'm gonna, uh, you, you can also add. You can add. You, you can cross genders. You do whatever you like. Well, I got I got two parts to this one. Gabby, I have high hopes for obviously, but that's not one of the two. The first one being, I'm stoked for Carlos and Luca, Carlos Munoz and Luca Messinas. That is, they're uh, from Peru and Costa Rica, respectively. Not two very well known huge surf markets in comparison to the U.S., Hawaii, Brazil, Australia. But um, I think they'll make a name for themselves, and I really hope they do well just because the diversity it brings to the tour, it just makes it that much better. Um, secondly, as a San Diegan, I would be very bummed if I didn't say I have high hopes for Jake Marshall and Katie Simmers. Two San Diegans on tour. I don't believe we've had one on tour since Taylor Knox and Rob Machado. And Ten years, Brady. It's been ten yeah. years since Taylor Knox was on tour. What's happening down there? Selfishly, <laughs> I don't know what's been in the water. It's like a retirement they, uh, <laughs> community for 20-year-olds. It's so yeah. weird. 
There's so much talent, so much potential, and uh, maybe there's some good waves. I don't Clearly know. not. Clearly not. <laughs> <laughs> there's not good waves here. Don't come. There's not good waves. Yeah, don't come. Go to San Clemente. Right. But yeah, go North <laughs> County. I hope I hope Jake and Katie nothing but the best, and let's see them shine on the world stage. I like it. Next question is from at bfin620, who asks, what are the results of a break room surf contest? Kim? <laughs> Ooh. This one is a tough one with a multi-layered response. Um, so we had a lot of follow-up questions <laughs> in an effort to answer this, um, mostly revolving around what wave they're at. I assumed that it was Bay Street, which is the incredible, incredible location outside of our office. And if it were to be held there, I would deem Brady Lawrence as our champ because he loves giant shitty closeouts, literally <laughs> shitty because it's in front of a pipe, like a drain pipe. Um, literally one of the worst waves in the world. Yeah. <laughs> but do not forget, I actually lived across the street from the office for a year. So oh, yeah, I surfed yeah. out there more than you might think. Yeah. Uh, Hendo with a self-review. It's a Hendo, yeah, it's Brady, a Hendo final. Brady semifinal. Or yeah, final. Yeah, and we did actually have a surf con a WSL surf contest at um, that legendary break a couple of years ago, probably four years ago now. Um, it was called the Colby Classic. It was incredible. Um, great turnout from rookies to um, longtime, longtime surf legends. Brady, I don't know if you remember if you were on the winning team, but I think the winning team was the green team and it included Hunter Jones, but I think it also included um, some other people who may or may not have been their first time paddling out. So at the WSL, we have a great spirit for internal surf contests. I don't remember what team I'm on or I was on, but I do remember that me and Shannon Waller had a quite little speed shade game going on. So we might have gotten some extra points thrown <laughs> our way. That was actually my first week working for WSL. I remember it was pretty vividly. I think day one was like a Thursday and it was like Earth Day or some some weird thing. And we we're like painting little flower vases at lunch. And, uh, and then the next day was the Colby Classic. And I was like, whoa. I'm going to like working at WSL. This is pretty <laughs> rad. <laughs> is this what so every funny. week is like? Yeah, we painted flower pots. I remember that. Yeah, and uh, but the Colby Classic was a blast, and I, I would love to run that final Brady v. Hendo at Bay Street in the near future. That'd be fun. <laughs> let's go. Combo swell, let's go. I'm yeah, ready. the break room open. It's also important to note that it was at like 2 p.m. or something, like possibly the worst like wind conditions. Like it just worked for everyone's <laughs> schedule. Like it was super windy, <laughs> shitty, uh, like obviously awful in terms of swell. But yeah, we, we do do WSL surf contests and everyone is a winner. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the next question is from at Poncho Surf who asks, I can't help but feel the best years of the tour are behind us since we lost Parco, et cetera. <laughs> <laughs> I love the singular name call out. Oh, I I wonder, who falls into the et cetera camp? <laughs> do you agree? And um, maybe I'll go back to Dan for this one. Oh, Poncho. Uh, I do not agree. Uh, I do also really love that Parco is the one example given for this. I was on tour when Parco was competing. I enjoyed it. Like just yeah. Poncho and I, I mean, could he's hang. Great. No problem. We'd have a lot to I talk about. I think this is a bigger question. I mean, I think every fan in any sport from wherever you're from has thought this, like whether it's how can the NBA survive without Michael Jordan? Like what are the Olympics going to do without Michael Phelps? But like 
the point of sports is that someone new and most of the time better like is always coming you know like LeBron's on his way when Michael's on his way out or Katie Ledecky's coming in when Michael Phelps is retiring or Betty Lou Sakura Johnson is getting on tour right at the end of Steph Gilmore as a hypothetical whatever but I, I think that's the the best part about sports is seeing new faces rise up and do something that no one's ever done before. So if you're just want if you're just a Parco fan and all you want to do is watch Parco surf, then maybe, <laughs> maybe the best years are behind you. Um, <laughs> but I think if you're a fan of surfing in general, like this, like as we've been talking about all episode, like there's so many rookies and there's so much talent coming up that like, it's going to be good. I would add to that. You see through these rookies, like little hints and spices of Parco resurrected through them. Look at Griffin, look at his carves and look at Ethan. Those are two perfect examples of somebody who have been studying Parco to a T and his spirit lives on Poncho. His spirit lives on. <laughs> I appreciate that Hando. I was going to say Poncho, there's plenty of space on Liam O'Brien Island, Lobster Island that you know, oh. there's there's a lot of DNA there from from Parco. So come, come join Jordy us. Jordy Island is closed. It's just me. Lobster coat. <laughs> lobster coat. Yeah, it's 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 it. Jordy Island's just a buoy, just floating around. <laughs> just me on You're a castaway raft. Yeah, yeah, lobster lobster cove. Come on in. We eat good on Lobster Island. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, next question is from Et K Safi, who asks. Who do you want to interview on the podcast who hasn't been on yet? So I will put this over to our producer, Hendo. Hendo, who do you want to interview on the podcast? I mean, so many names. Where do we begin? Uh, it's hard to say, but I mean, would love to have Dane Reynolds on if you're listening. Dane, um, I think he that is. Would... Don't worry about it. Okay. <laughs> that would be a, a pleasure. I mean, Dane and his wife, Courtney. Both of them together on the pod would be fantastic. Love what she does with a uh, napkin apocalypse and and the kids. Oh my! Just bring the whole family on. Bring the whole Reynolds family on. Uh, speaking of families, would love to have the Malloys on. Just haven't heard from them in a long time. I think Dimity Stoyle Shimmy Disco would also be a great interview. She is full of froth and energy. So those are a couple. And last but not least, I think David Rosta Rostovich would also be very interesting and cool. So those are a couple I'd love to hear. Good notes. Final question that we've curated from the Instagram community is from Et Mag Gster, who asks, what has been the most rewarding aspect of this podcast that you didn't expect? Lindsay Volk. Well, this is a great question because I did not expect much to be rewarding about this podcast. Huge fan <laughs> of the podcast, but myself being on Realist. it. Yeah, exactly. Didn't really see much, but it's been really great. I think there are a couple of things. So first of all, I learned that Dan is funny, which I think is great. That was a real breakthrough <laughs> through this podcast. Um, Go Dan. <laughs> yeah. But then more than that, I mean, so for me, like I don't talk surf outside of work. Like I'm not a big like core fan of surfing. It's shocking, I know. And so it's been really interesting to be pulled into this part of the business and beyond, you know, the recording of the podcast, we have meetings with what's called like the editorial board and just being in those and listening to some people and how passionate they are. It's really like transcended to me to make me just realize what a special, you know, role that I have in being a part of that. Definitely want to give a shout out to like Matt Schulman on the editorial board. Like I sit there and I'm just like in awe every single time we have these conversations. So yeah, it's just been really nice and it's 
made me, you know, sort of more fall in love with that side of surfing, which is not something that um, I really thought of before. That's a great answer. And actually could not have scripted a better way to finish out our final break room episode of 2021. Everyone on the call, appreciate all the time and effort and insights you've provided on the podcast for our listeners. And we'll look forward to having everyone back in 2022. So thank you to everyone. Happy holidays. And uh, we'll see you in the new year. Thanks. Later. See ya. Thanks, Bradler. Thanks, Brady. <laughs> Thanks, guys. So that's it. That's another episode of the Lineups Break Room. I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks to all of our participants. This episode is produced by Henry Beyer with art direction by Jason Penning and copywriting by Dan Willen. Thanks to them and thanks to our sponsors. We appreciate their support. The lineup acknowledges that it's recorded and produced on the ancestor lands of the Chumash and the Kumeyaay Native American people. I hope you safely get some waves wherever you are and we'll see you next Tuesday for our final pod of 2021. See you then. WSLstore.com is powered by Shopify. We love the analytics we can check on the go. A lot of us are addicted to checking the Shopify app on our phones. We also love the automations and marketing integrations with our social and YouTube channels. It has incredible features to help us manage our global audience, including international taxation support and great shipping optionality. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek skis, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US, and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash lineup, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash lineup now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash lineup.